Australia a few years ago, there was an ad on TV uh, that highlighted the differences between the generations. Uh, the ad opens with three young men walking down an inner city street and they're laughing together. And the shot pans out wide to show that the young guys are wearing their jeans down very low uh, with the top of their boxer shorts visible. And I'm talking a few inches of underwear visible. And they stop at a street corner to cross the road and, and the camera zooms in on three older men who are sitting at a table outside a cafe right there on the same street corner. And the old guys, well, they shake their heads in disbelief at the way the young men are wearing their pants. Uh, but then the camera zooms in on the torsos of the old men and they're all wearing their pants tucked super high um, just below their chests. Uh, as the young guys walk away, one of the older men says, unbelievable, and they all burst out laughing. And then the camera cuts to the young guys uh, who look back at the old men and they burst out laughing as well. Uh, by the way, if you want to see the ad, uh, put it in a link in the card above. It's pretty funny. But the ad was a humorous reminder of the differences between the generations, the disconnect that can happen between younger and older people as times change and fashions change and attitudes change and as the world changes. It's less humorous when the differences between the generations become the cause for contempt, when we allow our differences to get in the way of our relationships, when we stop learning from one another. Well, our Bible passage today tells us that that would be a great mistake for us to make as a church. So how do we learn to value the contribution of every generation in the church? Well, stick around and we'll find out in just a moment. Well, good morning and welcome to Yontville Community Church. Uh, my name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. A huge welcome to each one of you as you join us online today. Uh, we hope that our time today is a blessing uh, to you, uh, that it helps you connect with God and that it helps you connect with us here at church also. Uh, Yontville Community Church is one of the oldest churches in the Napa Valley. Uh, we've been around since 1874. Uh, and in just a few weeks, we're looking forward to reopening our historic chapel after major renovations that have taken about two years. That means if you're local to the Napa Valley, we would love to see you in person uh, and we'd love you to join us when we reopen. Uh, if you're from further away and you plan to continue online with us, well, we'd also love you to join us via online groups uh, so that we can share the journey with you that way. Uh, because our aim here at Yonville Community Church is to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. And we do that by encouraging one another through all of life. But that's what I'll be speaking about from our Bible passage in just a moment. So keep listening as the Bible lays out a blueprint for the kind of community that we would like to be. Uh, so we would love you to connect with us right now by filling out a Connect card. Uh, the link is at our website uh, right here, www.yonthillchurch.org. Uh, or you can find a link in the comments below on YouTube. Uh, we would love to hear from you and we'd love to introduce you to our church family. Uh, speaking of family, today is Mother's Day. Um, so uh, it's a special day when we remember all the mums among us and when we rejoice in all the spiritual mums that we have in the church and, and all the grandmas and all the aunties and all the sisters and daughters in Christ that make up our church family. Uh, we're thankful to God for you and this little video is our way of saying that. 
Today is Mother's Day, and we want to acknowledge all the women we're blessed to know. We rejoice over you, for your strength, your wisdom, your strong love, and your beautiful faith. Whether today is a celebration for you or a day of quiet reflection and healing, we're thinking of all of you. If you gave birth this year to your first child, our joy overflows and we celebrate with you. If you adopted a child this year or became a foster parent, we rejoice with you and we want to honor you in your commitment to changing the lives of children. If you continue to struggle with infertility, we are hoping with you and holding your hand in prayer. If you are exhausted and feeling underappreciated for all you do for a house full of kids, we applaud you. We love you and we appreciate you more than you can ever imagine. And if you lost a child this year to death or miscarriage, we weep and mourn with you. And if your child is lost to addiction or to the world, we hurt with you and we join you in putting our hope in the one who brings prodigals home. If you live with painful memories of your mom, we pray that you will find in a spiritual mother all that you never had from a birth mom. And if you're one of those amazing spiritual moms, we thank you for stepping up and being there when others couldn't. If you're experiencing an empty nest for the first time this year, we walk with you in this new season and are excited about the next chapter God has planned for you. If you're single, we celebrate your strength beauty and individuality, and join with you in praying for the desires of your heart. If you're a single mom and wonder if you have the physical energy and financial resources to raise and provide for your child or children, we want to help you, and we will. And if you're pregnant for the first time, we prayerfully anticipate with you the joyful birth of a healthy child. And to all the special women on this Mother's Day, rest and delight in knowing that we are thankful for you and we celebrate each and every one of you. Well, we love you, moms. Uh, as it turns out, our passage today is uh, actually very appropriate for Mother's Day. I wish I could say I planned it that way. Uh, I didn't. But God knew what he was doing when we planned our sermon series a couple of months ago. Uh, because our passage today is all about the way that we need each other in the church. Uh, we need every generation as we go through the journey of life, uh, particularly as we go through the journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, our passage today reminds us that the different generations are a gift to us and something to be profoundly thankful for. So why don't we pray and then we'll open the Bible together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our moms and for all the spiritual moms and grandmas and aunties that you give us in the church. We also thank you for the fathers and grandfathers in the faith and the brothers and sisters and sons and daughters that you bring into our family when we put our trust in Jesus. Help us to be truly thankful for one another and help us to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Help us to model Christ to one another for his sake and for the witness of the church in the world. To the glory of Christ. Amen. Well, a little reminder of where we are up to in the book of Titus. Uh, Titus is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege Titus, uh, whom he's left in charge of the churches in Crete. 
Uh, these are young churches, and Titus is a young leader. And so Paul, the elder, lays out his blueprints for a growing and healthy church. And from the very first verse of the letter, the apostle tells us that church health is all about God's people growing in faith in Jesus, are grounded in the knowledge of the truth, and that leading to godliness, Titus 1.1. And so to help lead the church in faith, knowledge, and godliness, last week we heard about the need to appoint faithful, knowledgeable, and godly elders over the church. Are these older, respected figures, they were to be role models and examples in their behavior and guardians of the gospel message that had been passed down to them. But we'll see in today's passage that Paul has the same expectation of all members of the congregation. He expects all of us to become role models and examples in our behavior and guardians of the gospel message as we grow in faith and knowledge and godliness. So let's jump in at Titus 2.2 where we see Paul's first instruction to Titus, an instruction to the older men of the church. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance, Titus 2.2. Paul paints a picture of a godly older man, the kind of Christian role model who we would look up to in the church. Uh, This older man is temperate, uh, that is, he's sober-minded and even-tempered. Or we could read it another way, that the word in the original language uh, can also mean sobriety in terms of alcohol use. Either way, uh, describing him as temperate It evokes that double description of an elder from Titus 1.7, somebody who is not quick-tempered and not given to drunkenness. The older man is worthy of respect. Men and women alike look up to him, both those younger, but also his peers and even those older than him. He's dignified and honourable. He's self-controlled. Do you notice that this word self-controlled overlaps exactly with the previous description of elders from Titus 1.8? And Paul will use the word self-controlled three more times before the chapter is finished because self-control is a key indicator of growing godliness. Uh, Self-control is all about choosing what is godly rather than giving yourself over to sin. Uh, Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We read in Galatians 5, it's an attribute that grows when we allow the the Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, putting off the old and putting on the new. Self-control is a godly characteristic that we can observe in others, just as much as we recognize when a person lacks self-control. And that's where I want to offer a gentle word of exhortation from an older brother in Christ. Uh, Let me read you a quote from Derek Prime's book, A Good Old Age, and A to Z of Loving and Following the Lord Jesus in Later Years. And that's where I want to offer a gentle word of exhortation from an older brother in Christ, Uh, Let me read you a quote from Derek Prime's book, A Good Old Age, an A to Z of Loving and Following the Lord Jesus in Later Years. This is from the chapter entitled, N is for Non-Judgmental. A peril of old age is jumping to wrong conclusions and passing judgment as we recall earlier days and say, things are not like they used to be. We can become negative and suspicious of anything that takes us out of our comfort zone. And then what of our opinions about church? Particular issues raise their heads, not least music and sometimes the way church life has changed. Hymn books replaced by words on a screen, the organ discarded, and pews replaced by seats. How easy it is to become grumpy old men and women. 
Well, we're about to reopen our church building and not everything will be the same as it used to be. But Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. And the message of the gospel is the same for every generation. And that is what is at the heart of our fellowship. And so as we go back, older men, let us continue to be role models and examples for the church who are sound in faith, in love and endurance, as it says at the end of Titus 2.2. Let's keep loving and serving faithfully in every season. That's Paul's word for older men. Now Paul gives instructions for the older women. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Titus 2.3. The first word that strikes me here is the word reverent. Paul chooses a word that evokes the temple and the priesthood and the sacred instruments that were set aside for use in God's service. And that's what Paul wants the older women in church to be like, devoted to God and devoted to serving him as they teach what is good. That's a high calling, isn't it? A priestly calling in a way. And so similar to the elders set over the church who were to be self-controlled and not given to drunkenness, Paul teaches that these elder women must similarly be similarly be self-controlled when it comes to speech and alcohol use. It's a picture of godly character lived out in word and deed. But what does that look like in practice? Melissa Kruger reflects on Titus 2.3 in her book, Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. She says, Some questions to consider as you think about this passage from Titus. Reverent in the way she lives. Do I give thought to my ways? Do I use my time to serve others? Does my life increasingly reflect my faith? Not slanderers. Do I display wisdom with my words? Do I gossip? Do I speak well of others close to me? Do I complain frequently? Not slaves. Do I possess inner discipline regarding alcohol, food, exercise, TV, shopping and other worldly pleasures? Do I increasingly trust in God for my joy and contentment? Teach us what is good. Do I give worldly advice or biblical wisdom? Do I have a regular practice of Bible reading and prayer? Do I faithfully seek ways to grow in my own knowledge and understanding? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a church full of older men and women who reflected on their Christian growth like this and took their discipleship seriously? I've been fortunate at different times in my Christian journey to have met up with godly older men uh, who've helped me reflect on those same questions, uh, who've helped me learn to pray, uh, who've walked alongside me as I did the hard work of dealing with sin in my own life, uh, men who've prayed over me and men who've prayed for me. Uh, There's something very special about finding a godly older brother, brother or sister in Christ who walk the journey with you. But that's what we're called to do. Um, Jesus told us to be disciples who make disciples, uh, to lead one another in faith, uh, in knowledge and in godliness, and to learn from those who've gone before us. And that's why Paul instructs the older women in the congregation to teach the younger women, encourage them in the same godliness that has shaped their own lives. Verse 4, Then they, the older women, can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, 
so that no one will malign the word of God. Titus 2, 4-5. To the modern ears, these verses might come across as rather out of touch with the 21st century values uh, and our expectations of the roles of women and work and parenting. And of course, they were originally written into a context where marriage and family was the normal life pattern for most women. But before we disregard Paul's advice as outdated and irrelevant, I want to gently suggest that we take a moment to put off our cultural bias and to remember the blessing and beauty of family. Because this is not the first time that family, uh, family life has been considered in the letter. Uh, the first time was back in chapter 1 when Paul said we ought to look at the family life of our elders to know whether the gospel is making a difference to them and to their families. Family life is one of God's great blessings to us. And this picture of older women coming alongside younger women in the course of family life, well, it's a picture of family that goes beyond blood relatives. It's a picture of church functioning as family. A bit like that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, church becomes the village of supportive relationships and mutual love and care. Again, what does that look like in practice? Well, Listen to this wisdom from Carolyn Mahaney's book, A Feminine Appeal, Seven Virtues of a Godly Wife and Mother. It's doubtful that the Apostle Paul had in mind Bible classes or seminars or books when he spoke of teaching younger women. He meant the simple things, the everyday example, the willingness to take time from one's own concerns to pray with the anxious mother or to work, walk with her the way of the cross. These lessons will come perhaps most convincingly through rocking a baby, doing some mending, cooking a supper, or cleaning a refrigerator. For women who are juggling family and work, it might be getting coffee with another working mum who understands the pressure points, or setting up a Bible study group at a time that works with your schedule. The details for each person might be different, but the pattern is the same. We need godly role models in the church who can help us navigate the challenges of life. Our family in Christ is a gift of God to us, uh, who help us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, whatever our situation. Now, there is one group we haven't got to yet, which is the young men in the church. And I'm taken back to the illustration I opened with, uh, the young men with their pants down low and the old men with their pants pulled up high. For some reason, there's often a lack of mutual respect between older men and younger men, and vice versa. And I don't know if it's just the struggle, uh, sorry, it's just the nature of men and the struggle for power, you know, that young bucks always challenge the dominant males for authority until one has supremacy. If that's the case, then intergenerational conflict is inevitable. But Paul teaches that it should be different in the church. I remember Titus himself was a young man, perhaps in his 30s, and yet Paul had left him as the head over all of the churches in Crete. And so Paul instructs Titus to exhibit the kind of mature godliness that is worthy of respect and to teach the, uh, teach the young men to do the same, 2 verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Titus 2, 6-8 A young men, there is a lot of bad press about younger generations refusing to grow up, 
are living at home longer, playing video games, that kind of thing. Now, I don't know how fair the critique is when housing costs have gone through the roof and you've grown up with digital devices rather than golf clubs. Uh, but if there is any truth in it, then Christian young men ought to set a different example. I've been privileged to go to church in the past with Christian young men who are serious about their godliness, uh, who've worked hard at faith and knowledge, who've taken a role in leading kids and youth at church or, or leading young adults not much younger than themselves. Uh, these are young men who are often recognized in their secular workplaces for their integrity and their hardworking attitude and their leadership skills at a young age. Godliness makes a difference in the world. And it makes a difference in a way that it catches people's attention. So I want to finish with a brief idea which is about the missional outcome of our godliness. The idea of godliness and, and doing what is good, well, it's woven all the way through every section of Paul's letter to Titus. Paul wants us to take our godliness seriously. Firstly, because it's good for the church. When we're transformed by the hope of Jesus transformed by love, transformed into faithful servants, transformed into godly husbands and godly wives and parents and children, then we get to experience the life-giving joy of a trusting and loving family. Not just in our homes, but as the church family comes together. There's a mutual affection between the generations. There's mutual respect and nurturing relationships that transcend biological ties. The Titus 2 church, it's a glorious reflection of the mutual love that the Godhead shares within the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit serving one another in perfect love. And that should be reason alone to pursue the blueprint that Paul lays out in our chapter. But there's another perhaps unexpected outcome, and that is the attractional value of a godly church family. In a world where so many families are dysfunctional, the gospel casts a vision of better family and better, fa better marriages and better intergenerational relationships. The gospel vision is a vision of the good life. And when we live the gospel as a church, people stop to take notice. Three times in our passage, Paul shows the way that our godly godliness makes a difference and is noticed by the world. In 2 verse 5, the good lives and marriages of older and younger women mean that no one will malign the word of God, Titus 2.5. They can't say anything bad about the gospel because actually the evidence is there of happy and fulfilled relationships and families. And then in 2 verse 8, the godliness of the younger men and the way that they conduct themselves means that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us, Titus 2.8. Again, the way that Christians conduct themselves in the workplace, we see that in verses 9 and 10, well, it means that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive, Titus 2 verse 10. Our behaviour is a powerful witness to God's saving work in us. People can see the difference that Jesus makes in our life and they can see the goodness and the happiness and the fulfilment that we find in following God's ways. It is attractive to them. One Christian minister reflecting on this passage said, God's primary evangelistic strategy is the goodness of his people. Brothers and sisters, I want our church to be known for the goodness of its people. I want us to stand out in the Napa Valley and beyond as a community marked by goodness 
because we've been transformed by the saving grace of Jesus. And when people come to visit, I want our goodness, which comes from the goodness of Jesus, I want our goodness and our kindness and our Christian love for one another to be something that stands out to them so much that they'll want to come back for more. And they'll bring their friends to share in the goodness as well. And those friends will bring their friends and so forth. We have something very precious to share. So let's make sure we're sharing that gospel life with one another wherever we find ourselves in the world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this amazing vision of the church that is shaped by love, transformed by Jesus and full of hope and faith and trust for one another. Uh, Father, we thank you for the way that the gospel transforms us and transforms our relationships. Father, grow us into the kind of church family uh, that makes your teaching attractive to the world. Uh, Help us to model Jesus Christ in our homes and in our workplaces and in our relationships. Father, uh, may Jesus be made famous uh, because of the way that you have changed us here. And we do pray that this message of hope that we have in Jesus uh, rings out through the Napa Valley and beyond uh, because of what you're doing in our church and because of what you're doing in other churches around. Father, uh, we pray for your spirit to fill us and to change us and to transform us uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.